We call Frances the statistician in our family because she keeps track of things. And so we are nearing the end of uh, my sermon series on the book of John. I believe this is more than Sermon 96. We have been going, looking at this book together since 1996 and uh, with various breaks in between. But today we are on John chapter 21, the final chapter. And so if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn and read along as I read aloud from God's Word. To hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 21. <clears throat> Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, which means a doubter, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. <clears throat> so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, rowing, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let us pray. Dear Father, we give thanks for the glory and the joy and blessing of this, this account. Jesus' compassion upon his disciples, even as they were out fishing, that he gave them a wonderful harvest of fish, 153 large fish. We thank you that your power is so great. We pray that you would pour out these blessings upon us. We pray that we would do as you say, that we would learn from your word. I pray that my words would be faithful and in keeping with your word which alone is holy and has the power through the working of your Holy Spirit to change human hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. I recollect this past summer. As you read this story, how many of you are fishermen? Are any of you fishermen? Raise your hand if you're a fisherman. Okay. David, are you not a fisherman? Okay. Well, we've got several fishermen in the midst. And... and this story is an interesting story, because if you were here this past Sunday, um, 
as I was preaching on the end of chapter 20, one of the key messages of chapter 20 is revealed in verse 31, where John states, well, I'm going to read verses 30 and 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So in other words, what John is trying to make clear is that his book is a book of proof. His book is a testimony. It's not designed to be an entertainment. It's not designed to be a fun story, something you would laugh at, or even something that you would cry at. Instead, it's designed to lock down the truth. <clears throat> so that there would be certainty in the minds of those who read this. And so that they could say, all right, John says the following. But in all of these stories, in the accounts that he records for us in his gospel, there are more people than John involved. And so even as Thomas doubted until he saw for himself, despite the fact that they all told him, it's true, Jesus has risen and he's appeared to us. What John desires to do through the power of the Holy Spirit who is inspiring him to write this is to point out to us clearly the truths of God's word, the proofs of who Jesus is, what he did, and how what he did shows us that what he said about himself is true. In other words, Christ came to be the, claimed to be the Son of God, to be one with the Father. He claimed to have come from heaven, <clears throat> to be preparing to return to heaven. He claimed to be more than a human. Is this true? And so John writes us proof. Now, <laughs> I think it's quite humorous. I, I should say that, that at one point I might have considered myself a fisherman. That was back in the days when uh, my... The family and I used to go up to the Boundary Waters in northern Minnesota <clears throat> every summer, some years back. But whether through ignorance or poor fortune or what, what, whatever you might call it, I got weary of that because I never caught anything. <clears throat> and so I stopped being a fisherman. Now, I presume those of you who are fishermen have had better success than I have. But I think it's quite humorous. It's, it's ironic, shall we say. What are the stories that are known throughout our culture today as being the stories that are least likely to be true? Hmm? Huh? <laughs> we have an expression for it, don't we? You know anything about fish stories? That's the expression we have for, oh yeah, the story about the one that didn't get caught. The one that jumped back in. Yeah, I caught a fish this big. That, that. <laughs> and so it's astounding to me to find that John is telling us a fish story in the context of proof. <clears throat> This past summer, I remember hearing the account of a boy who caught a record-breaking fish. 
I don't remember all the details about it. But the interesting point, the point that struck me about it, was that he was either out on a boat with a father or uncle, and I'm not sure about that point. But they weighed it, and they took a picture of it. And then this father or uncle, this relative of his, decided, well, rather than just toss it back what you were playing, he's going to put it in the cooler and, and just keep it on the boat until they got back in. Well, it's a fortunate thing they did, because it had to be weighed on registered scales, or you got no record. And as it was, he broke the record. And if he'd said, oh, poor fish, throw him back in, we've got the weight, we've got the picture, and there goes the record. And John tells us in this account that they caught 153 large fish. An astounding number of fish. How do you prove a fish story? Well, with the presence of eight people, seven who were there to testify to it be satisfactory proof of a fish story? (laughs) Would the fish being taken to market be proof of a fish story? And you think about that. There are certain aspects of this story that seem, I think, often to miss us when we consider it. One of the things that people have said from time to time is is they seem to have the impression that uh, Peter and the other apostles in this account, and, and again I explained last week that I'm going to take what becomes the New Testament name for the twelve, okay? Um, they were called disciples, and then... Judas Iscariot killed himself. <coughs> and then when Christ arose, it seemed that everybody who was a follower of Christ became was called a disciple. Uh, and so to differentiate between that, I'm either going to say the 11 or I'm going to say the apostles because that's what they became called. That was the special office that they held following the Christ's ascension into heaven. <coughs> But it seems that people say about this particular account in Scripture, uh, they'd seen Christ. Indeed, it says in verse 14, which I read, this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, you would say if you put all the gospel accounts together, he's appeared more times than that. But John is clearly counting the number of times that he has appeared to, to the 11, or a portion of the 11. Right? Once on the Sunday that he arose in the evening when Doubting Thomas was absent. Next time, a week later, when Doubting Thomas was present, which I preached on this past Sunday, and and this time here. So this is the third time, counting the specific witnesses who John is pointing to as giving the truth to the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, which is the, the eleven. With Judas Iscariot dead. And so people say about this, uh, you know, it's, it's a shame that the apostles, that these 11, after they had just seen Jesus risen from the dead, he was crucified, and they were distraught beyond measure. They locked themselves in upper rooms because they were afraid of the Jews. And then Jesus appeared to them. And then he appeared to them again. And then they decided that they were going to go back to their occupation. They said, well, you know, Jesus is obviously not here as he used to be here. And and so we can't follow him around. You know, going to Jerusalem, go out to Galilee, perhaps pass through Samaria. So we better just go back to our old way of life. 
It's interesting to notice if you look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 10, when Jesus appeared to some of the women, that he said to them, and this may be familiar to you, be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. Now, where is the Sea of Tiberias? Where is the Sea of Galilee? Oh, Galilee, that's right. So it's in Galilee. Where were the apostles? Where were the eleven? Had they gone back to their occupations? Of course, some of them had started out as fishermen in the Sea of Galilee, hadn't they? Which four had started out being called from the Sea of Galilee? Well, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee and Salome, James and John, and then Peter and, what was his brother's name? Andrew. Very good. Fitting. Andrew remembers his brother's name was Andrew. All right, so we have four brothers who started out as fishermen in the Sea of Galilee. And now they're back at the Sea of Galilee. Well, would it not seem clear to us if Jesus told the women to tell the apostles, go to Galilee and there they'll they'll see me? Would you imagine that they'd go someplace else, say to Samaria or say uh, to Caesarea or say to one of the other places, the Decapolis or someplace way out of bounds, even stay in Jerusalem? No, the right place for them to be is in Galilee. If he has said, go there, and I will see you there. So I think it's very important for us to see, in the context of this account, that we don't have an instance where the apostles have said, all right, guys, all bets are off. It's time to go back to the daily grind. (laughs) That's not what, what it's about. Now, I'd like to point something else out about the daily grind as far as these men were concerned. How many men were out in the boat together? What's the number? Anybody do the very quick thinking of how many? Seven. Right? Seven. How many names did I mention whom Jesus had called from the Sea of Galilee as fishermen? Four, right? Okay. James and John, Peter and Andrew. All right. So you've got three extras there. In the listing of names, there's Nathaniel. Now, that's a very good name. It's too bad it has that reference to God on the end. It could be just plain old Nathan. And I'd like that. But Nathaniel's good. Nathaniel uh, <clears throat> apparently is also Bartholomew. They apparently, there seems to be a great deal of thinking that they are one and the same. No definite proof, but that seems to be what the thought is. Thomas. Doubting Thomas, as we call him. Uh, Simon Peter, the sons of Zebedee, James and John. And then it says two other disciples. Now, my guess would be, if you, if you had to guess, that one of them is going to be Peter's brother. Uh, they were fishermen together. They spent the last three years with Jesus together. So one would presume that they got along well. There are some brothers who don't get along well, and so they're not, they don't spend their time together. But so I would guess that one of them... It would be reasonable to guess that one of them would be Andrew. But then there's another disciple whose name is not mentioned, along with the the one that I'm suggesting is Andrew. Three of these disciples 
quite well may not be fishermen. It would be reasonable to suggest that some of them, some of the three at least, were not fishermen. I've already mentioned the only ones that we know for a fact were fishermen. What do you do with that? They weren't going back to the daily grind. Instead, they were, to use the expression, they were following the leader. And who was the leader in their midst at this point in time? Peter, clearly. And so Peter says, I'm going out to fish. And they said, we'll go with you. Now, what that suggests to me is the game plan of some men who have something better to be doing, but the time isn't ripe yet. Okay? You know, it's like a bunch of men who are waiting... Well, let's use this week and the the, the things that are done at this week. I know when um, we're going up to my brother Tim's church and to his house in, 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 uh, in Bloomington, Indiana this week. But oftentimes we've spent Thanksgiving in years past with Sandy's family in Jefferson City, Tennessee, and, and parts thereabouts. And on Thanksgiving afternoon, there was only one thing to be done. And it was to sit in front of the television and watch whatever game was on television on that day. And the other thing to be done was to fall asleep in front of the television watching the football game. But it was interesting to see what the men would do prior to that time. Because it seemed like they didn't know what to do prior to that time. They'd go outside, they'd do this, they'd do that, and, and... and then, when it came time for the game, they'd just all come walking in and they'd sit down on the couch and turn on the game and watch it. And this seems what these apostles are doing here. And Peter says, I know, I've got an idea, let's go fishing. And they say, okay, we'll go with you. Now, there are some things about this that I think are, are, are fascinating to look at. The first one is Peter's leadership. <clears throat> Peter despite the, the, the lack of resolution at this point, you, you remember that he had denied Christ three times. In verses 15 and following is the point in time <coughs> when Jesus deals with him with regard to this. But at our passage this morning, he has not dealt with this with regard to the Lord. He's not um, repented of it. I'm sure he's repented of it, but he's not uh, told the Lord of his sorrow with regard to it. And yet Peter, despite his being um, in, in a bad spot with regard to that, remains retains leadership with these men. The other thing that I think is, is fascinating to look at is the sense, last week we talked about how they were together to worship the Lord together. They were together, and the Lord came in, into their midst and because of that, they were able to worship him together. This week, they're fishing together. What does that tell us? I think it tells us that they were a very close-knit group of men. You think of the, the ramifications, the, the possible, what this says about us today. And I think one of the very obvious things that it should suggest to us is the people who are devoted to Christ should also be devoted to one another. 
that they should enjoy each other's company immensely, that they should be close friends, and that they shouldn't even mind the thought of going out, fishing all night together and catching nothing. (laughs) Not my idea of a fun time. (laughs) Instead, Peter, all Peter had to say was, "Uh, I'm going fishing. I said, I am too. I am too. Six other I am twos.